Dear Father in heaven, we come before you once again asking you to be here with us in this place. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. In 1980, Rosie Ruiz won the Boston Marathon. She held her title for eight days. Then, it was discovered that rather than running the whole course, she'd taken the subway from Cambridge to Boston, emerging from the crowd about a half mile from the finish line. Suspicions were first aroused by the fact that she was neither sweaty nor out of breath, and, of course, by her, quote, flabby thighs. That's hilarious, by the way, that the newspaper noted her flabby thighs. But you can see how it might take eight days to catch her, right? Have you ever seen a marathon? Almost 5,500 people ran that year in 1980, and over 30,000 ran it last year. And have you ever seen the start of sort of this great seething mass of humanity pushing up against the starting line and almost spilling over it? It's like potential energy incarnate. And then finally, the gun goes off and it's sort of like a horde of locusts descend on the course. And it's totally believable, to me at least, that somebody could start the race, jog a mile or two, sort of fade off into the side, jump on the subway, and make their way to the finish line undetected. I've been thinking about the start of a marathon a lot this week, don't worry, not because I plan to run one, um, but because of our reading, actually, from 1 Corinthians, here's St. Paul writing his letter to uh, the church in Corinth. You heard it read just a moment ago. He says, the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. And then he goes on, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. Then he says these famous words, for Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. And you can see the clear marathon imagery, right? Okay, fine. Let me explain. Imagine uh, for a moment, that life is a race. This shouldn't be too hard. This is an incredibly common image or metaphor that people use when they talk about life. You've heard probably that life is even a marathon, not a sprint. Right? This is a very common idea. Even Scripture talks about running the race of life on several different occasions. So picture it. The race of life has just begun. But instead of 5,500 people who ran the Boston Marathon in 1980, or even the 30,000 who ran it this year, it's all 7.5 billion people who live on Earth. 
This is the race to end all races. 7.5 billion people striving, working, struggling, surging as quickly as they can toward the finish line. Now, most marathoners in real life have a distinct plan that they take into the race with them. They want to run so many miles at such and such a speed, then so many more miles at a different speed, all designed to maximize what they can do across the whole length of the course. And they, have, and they always, of course, want to save a little bit so they can sprint through the finish, or so I'm told, <laughs> having never run further than, I think, a mile. Um, but runners in the race of life have a plan, too. Some are good religious people who think that if they show devotion to God, however they might define him, along the way they'll prove their worth and either earn some assistance, sort of the uh, water stations along the route, or they might even earn a reward at the end. Some worship things that aren't traditionally called gods, like sex or money or power, and they think that if they can just make themselves feel good all along the route, they won't have to dwell so much on how much running a marathon hurts. Right? So you can see how the race of life is sort of handled differently by different people. But no matter what our plan, all of us runners, all of us marathoners have one thing in common. We are pressing on. We are working. We are striving. Now, some people, those choice few, are really out there to win the race of life. And I'm sure that you know someone who's like that, even if you're not that person yourself. Some people are really out there running the race of life to win. But some of us are just content to make sure that we're not finishing last. This is how I run a race. I, I signed up for a 5K a few years ago, and I signed up knowing full well that I wasn't going to win, like I said, having never really run more than a mile in my life. But I made a promise to myself before I started that I wasn't going to finish last, right? No matter what, I was going to make sure that somebody was behind me, even if it was like the lady with the stroller. <laughs> somebody was going to be behind me, because not finishing last is very important. This is what's in your heart when you find yourself thinking things like, well, I'm not perfect, but at least I'm better than that guy. And this is how we run the race of our lives. We know we're not probably going to win. We know we're not perfect, but we're desperate to find that one person in our lives who we can think of as finishing behind us. Maybe we're not perfect, but at least we're better than that guy. Picture it with me again. I'm going to need you to put on your imagination hats now, as this is sort of a, a strange image that I'm going to share with you. So the gun on the marathon of life has just gone off, and the marathon has begun. The crowd, remember this is 7.5 billion people, the entire population of the earth surges as one across the starting line. You've seen this in, in actual... Races, how it's just this mass of humanity starting at once. And then something crazy happens. Imagine that a giant stone falls from the sky, bang, into the middle of the race. What do the runners do? Some will trip over it, crashing to the ground, cursing this stone's existence, knowing that it's going to cause them 
cost them a chance to win the race. Others will pay it no mind, simply running around it to the left or the right like a line of ants headed back to the nest. But there it is, a rock dropped into the middle of the marathon. Listen again to St. Paul. We proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The cross of Jesus Christ is the giant stone thrown into the middle of the 7.5 billion person marathon of life. How will the runners react? How will we react to this incredible and ridiculous and crazy thing that has all of a sudden interrupted our race? Now, to the good people, those who St. Paul refers to as the Jews, the good religious folks, the cross of Christ is a giant stumbling block. They can't get over it. They can't get around it. This idea throws them completely for a loop, and they crash to the ground. A God who came to earth and then died? A God who rescues, but not those who are obedient to him in the face of an unbelieving world? Not the good people who successfully set themselves apart from everyone else, but the bad people? A God who comes to save his own enemies? A God whose incarnate son on earth said that the healthy have no need of a doctor, but that the sick need a doctor. And so he came to save not the righteous, but sinners. This is an unavoidable obstacle. It can't be overcome because such a God is an affront to all our effort, all our training, all our striving, all our working to be good. Such a God is a crutch for losers, as Ted Turner so famously said. The cross of Christ is a stumbling block to good religious people. But what about to the other runners? What about to that unbelieving world? How do they feel about the giant rock thrown into the midst of the marathon of life? What about to the Greeks, those People who are into making themselves feel as good as they can, as often as they can, if only to distract themselves from how much running this race hurts. These non-traditionally religious folks who worship the gods that aren't called gods. Money, sex, power, success. These people couldn't care less about this rock. They stream around the rock to the left side and the right side, never stopping to wonder how such a ridiculous thing happened in the first place. The cross of Christ is foolishness to the non-religious self-sustainers. But then there's you. You went to sleep last night regretting, once again, your inability to live up to the standard that God has set for you. You spent the last week trying to do better than the week before, to love more deeply, to serve more selflessly, to live more honestly. Maybe you slumped into your pew this morning wondering if anything in your life is really that much better at all. You're no self-sustainer. You've tried that, and you've seen the ravages of the worship of 
money, sex, and power in your life and in the lives of those around you. If anything, you know that relying on yourself has let you down more than it has sustained you. And so as the starting pistol sounded on the marathon of life and the mass of humanity surged forward, you were already exhausted. So when the giant stone was dropped in your path, you didn't see it as some extra impediment. You could barely move already. So you did what neither the good religious people nor the non-religious self-sustainers did. You stopped running the race to investigate this stone. This incredible thing dropped into the middle of the race of life and you found nothing less than the savior of the world. We proclaim Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, the cross of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection for the sins of the world, that counterintuitive insult to people who would earn their own salvation and that disgusting melodrama to those who don't have anything to be saved from, is the power of God to the downtrodden, to the weak, to the sinner, to you and to me. Cross of Christ, that stone, is actually the finishing tape dropped into the middle of the pack of runners right at the beginning of the race. Almost before it has begun, the race is over. Now, of course, life continues, and it's still a marathon and not a sprint, and it still hurts a lot. But the victory, the victory that we lined up at the starting line thinking that we had to win, that victory has been won already. This is the good news itself, that on account of Christ's victory over sin, death, and judgment at the cross, the victory we could never win on our own has been given to us for free. Like Rosie Ruiz, we took the shortcut straight to the finish line. But unlike her, Our victory can never be taken away. She held her title for eight days. We are Christ's own forever. Every inch of our victory was earned, just not by us. It was earned by Jesus Christ, and now, by his gift, it is ours. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Amen.